I wanted to have a one-man business. I really didn't want to have a lot of employees. I wanted to build a $1 million company again. I wanted to achieve this in one year. A smart goal always has a deadline. And then I wanted to only work an hour a day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Australian Seller Podcast. My name is Chris Thomas, and I'll be your host. And this is the show where we talk about all things Amazon and e-commerce, whether it be private label, wholesale, dropshipping, and how you can generate a recurring income, either on the side or as a full-time gig. G'day, g'day, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Australian Seller Podcast. Today's episode is episode 89, and I am joined this week by Brandon Jupski, the CEO of Backtrack.com. Now, Brandon's company helps e-commerce sellers, particularly Amazon sellers, receive their returns and either renew, refurbish, repair, or resell customer returns that come in from Amazon customers. But before we hop into all of that, we do chat through some of the crazy things that Brandon's done over the last 23 years in e-commerce, some of the crazy products he's either sold or attempted to sell online. So listen out for the spy satellite story. I think that's the one that made me giggle the most. All right, some announcements. I'll be holding another meetup here in Melbourne in April. The dates and the topic are still to be confirmed, but if you do want to be notified about all the goings-on, then just head over to my Facebook group, which is over at theaustralianseller.com forward slash Facebook. India, we are getting so close now. Uh, The virus in India is still well under control. There's no serious issues at all to speak of. So at this stage, it does look as though the Delhi Fair and the India sourcing trip are going full steam ahead. And of course, if there's any changes to that, Megla will let me know and I'll let you know if I need to. Um, So come with me to India. It's the trip of a lifetime. It's such a romantic and amazing country to visit. So please have a chat first with Megla over at indiasourcingtrip.com or you can just get in touch with me at chris at christhomas.com.au. Tim Jordan, who's running the Helium 10 Project X case study. Actually, I think it finished today. Uh, He's been running that with Bradley Sutton. Some fantastic products they they've came up with there, the egg tray, and of course the coffin shelf. Uh, so anyway, Tim's going to be in India as a coach, as will Gary Huang, Mark Jolly, uh, and many others. So the dates for that are from April the 13th through to April the 20th this year. So uh, register now. Time is running out. You'll need to get a flight and you'll need to get your visa. So get your skates on. All right. Uh, as I've also mentioned In previous episodes, I am full swing now with private coaching for 2020. So please head over to theaustralianseller.com forward slash Chris to book an hour session with me just to make sure you're heading in the right direction. You know, whether you're an existing business, uh, an existing Amazon seller, or indeed wanting to get set up on Amazon, uh, I can help. But anyway, enough from me this week. Let's get on with today's interview with Brandon Jutsky. Absolutely delighted to welcome Brandon Jupski from Backtrack. Welcome to the show, Brandon, and thanks so much for coming on. Hey, Chris. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me today. I look forward to this. <laughs> I think we're just going to riff this one and see how we get on. Now, you have an extraordinary background in e-commerce. I think 
from listening to a podcast that you might have done with Michael Michelini that you first started e-commerce way back in like two, uh, 1997 or 1998. Is that right? Do you want to give us a bit about your background there and how you got into that? And Yeah, yeah. I'm an old timer. Um, started uh, e-commerce in 1998. So this was back when there was still dial-up internet access. Um, Amazon mm. was less than five years old, still kind of a baby company, um, or, and eBay as well. So Started in 1998 selling stuff out of the home, you know, stuff out from thrift stores and garage sales that I would find and then um, resell it back on eBay. This was when before Amazon was really a third party marketplace. It was mm. just a bookstore. So this was uh, all eBay back then, 1998. Yeah, it was the same here in Australia as well. Um, in fact, it still is. eBay still has massive market share here uh, compared to Amazon that opened a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but you also, I mean, you were sort of dubbed the man who could spin gold from the unsold with your liquidations um, approach to selling on eBay a little bit later, didn't you? I mean, you you were finding products that, well, just li liquidated products and then uh, selling those products on eBay. Is that still your strategy today or are you? Yeah, well, okay. So back then, yeah, so after, after kind of running out of a... Uh you know, um, things to sell out of the house and garage sales. So the next phase of my, my company back in the early days was called Sell to All. Um, and that company was then focused on surplus inventory, liquidations, because my background prior to being an entrepreneur was uh, the logistics industry. So I knew a lot mm -hmm. about that pain points um, of surplus inventory. And so I came up with a solution to take surplus inventory off of uh, big corporations' hands um, whether through consignment or I would buy it and then obviously sell it to the end consumer on eBay. And uh, in the early days, that was a very, very lucrative business. Um, and so we, my company, Sell to All, grew extremely fast back in those days. And by 2003, 2004, my company was one of the largest companies on wow. eBay um, in a growth dollars standpoint. We were pretty big and uh, moving fast. It was a fast and furious time. It was, but then in 2006, sort of fell over, didn't it? The business collapsed. Um, I think I read on your website. What, what was the story there? What, what, what happened? Yeah. So, I mean, growing fast, you know, um, go big or go home. That was Brandon 1.0, right? I wanted to be the largest seller on eBay. That was kind of my personal goal. And I achieved that goal um, by growing so fast. And so when you're growing so fast, things get out of control. Um, and, you know, I was, uh, you, you, I built this big overhead um, as um, with warehouses, employees, I had almost 100 employees working for me. And we built uh, a lot of uh, expensive software mm -hmm. to automate and control our, our, our massive operations. And in 2004, the world kind of changed. Um, back then, it was eBay, you know, being a domestic marketplace and eBay opened it up to China and Hong Kong. So 2004, things really started changing when it be, the internet became a global marketplace Yeah, and products started coming directly from China versus, or even Hong Kong in that time before, um, instead of just only in the U S. And so those dynamics really knocked me off um, my base and, and changed the entire economics that I didn't expect. So by 2000, you know, between 2004, 2006, I was just struggling and fighting and um, trying to survive. Um, I went from a business that was growing 30% month after month after month to, to shrinking 30% month after month almost. Mm. Um, and so that was a challenging time. And by 2006, I threw in the towel, um, closed the business, filed bankruptcy. It was a massive, uh, very painful time for me when the mm. largest seller on eBay goes out of business. It was pretty public too. 
Yeah, were you okay, like mentally? I mean, it's um, a really difficult thing to go through. So, I mean, how do you sort of pick yourself up and dust yourself off from from an experience <laughs> like that? Yeah, it was tough. It was a tough time. Um, I was at the stage of almost having a heart attack. I could just feel, you know, the stress was just unbearable. But yeah, so that was a difficult time. But the there was a community of sellers that really helped pull me back up. Um, uh, I was on the board of directors of a group called PISA, Professional eBay Sellers Alliance, mm-hmm. um, and really tiled in with the community. I had a lot of friendships and, and still have those friendships today. And that community really did. They, they, came, they came up and, and, and helped me, you know, um, be build what we called Brandon 2.0. <laughs> um, and so they, they gave me the confidence to do it again. Fantastic. You've sold some pretty crazy stuff over the years. Um, can you talk us through, I think, you, or you've also tried to sell some pretty crazy stuff, the spy satellite, like how on earth did that even happen? <laughs> so the spy satellite story is a fun one. And this was very early. This was in like 1998, 1990, 1999, I think. Right. Um, this was when I was, I was getting my MBA, my master's in business degree. I was working for another corporation and I started my company on the side, um, you know, selling stuff from thrift stores and garage sales at the time. Mm. So I went to a chamber of commerce meeting here and presented my business over a luncheon with local entrepreneurs or local business owners here in my, um, the city I live. And one of the guys came up to me afterwards and said, Brandon, I like your idea of selling stuff on eBay for people. Um, I've got something very interesting. I want to show you come over to our, 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 our office, but it was really a, a business mm. um, tomorrow. And I'll show you. So I go over there tomorrow and he, he, he shows, I'm in his office and he gives me these big, huge books. Um, and they say confidential, top secret, you know, um, um, private, do not open, you know, on, on the front of the books. And I'm like, what is this? You know, mm. can I actually look at this? Am I in trouble if I get a look at this? Well, he's like, well, my company is in, um, builds encryption. And we encrypt um, radios, communication systems. Um, for large-scale, like, CIA-type operations, wow. FBI, CIA, things like that. Mm-hmm. He goes, we just finished building a multimillion-dollar complete package with telephone towers, communication satellites, um, radios that go in cars and things like that for a third-world country. Mm-hmm. Well, the government just blacklisted this country, and we can't ship it to them. So now I'm stuck with all this equipment to try it. I have to figure out how to sell it to make my money back. And so... You know, being an ambitious entrepreneur, I said, okay, I'll try to sell it for you for my 15% commission. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he allowed me to try. So there I am. I, I'm on, you know, I'm in my home computer at, at home looking at these top secret books and photos and building an eBay listing for this multi-million dollar <laughs> satellite system for sale. Um, I was wondering who was going to be knocking on my door the next day. Yeah, probably North Korea. I'm not sure. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> you've also sold. This was it. back in this was back in um, 1999. So yeah, there's lots of countries that could have been on that list. Uh, yeah, there are. There would have, in fact, there probably still are. Um, yep. There's a meteorite from Mars. Like, how on earth did you end up with a meteorite from Mars? Was that real? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's another interesting story. This was later on. I don't remember the exact year, 2003, 2004-ish. But there was a time when Mars was coming really close to Earth. Um, and so it was always on the news. Hey, you know, this is going to be the time where you go out and get your, your telescope and look at Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, closest to Earth in, in, in many years. So there was a, somebody who actually had a piece of a meteorite that 
NASA inspected the gases of and confirmed that they believe this came from Mars because it matches um, gases that they have found on Mars in with their mm-hmm. rover and so forth. Mm-hmm. So they said, yes, we believe this is a meteorite from Mars. And so this person who owned this was, um, uh, hired us to help them sell it on eBay. So again, here I am, ambitious entrepreneur, we'll sell a meteor from Mars on eBay for you for a commission. And so we did, we did just that listed an eBay listing for a meteorite that came from Mars. And I believe we were, I can't remember the exact dollar. It was like almost half a million dollars. Um, and so we tried, um, but of course we didn't get any buyers. Um, but it was a fun thing, and we got on every, you know, all these news channels, you know, across the country. My friends would call me up and say, "Hey, I saw you on the news today," you know, from California and other parts of the of the country. And then finally, the last one I wanted to talk to you or ask you about was the, I think at the time the most expensive thing ever sold on eBay, which is the Cisco router. Is that right? Now you're bringing back memories. So. <laughs> In in the in the early two thousands two thousand one two three I don't remember which year um, the dot com bubble was coming right the dot com bubble and dot com crash and so mm-hmm. we were in the surplus liquidation business um, and and we got our hands on uh, there was some telecommunication companies large VOIP you know voice over internet protocol companies who had um, they were deep in in hardware and running out of money to pay payroll. So these companies came to me and asked me to help them sell their hardware equipment just to make payroll. It was crazy times. Mm. And so one of the most expensive items that I sold at that time was a $70,000 VOIP Cisco router that I never even saw. So it's one of those things where the buyer bought it, sent me the money, then I sent them, then the, then the guy shipped it to them, you know, one company shipped it to another, it got confirmed that it's received, then I, then I wired the money to the, the, the company so they could pay their payroll. Um, hands-free. <laughs> I was just going to say, that sounds like the, the biggest drop shipping deal in history. And just think how much I was sweating <laughs> in the middle of this thing. Fell through, so. um, anyway, let's talk about um, the rise of Amazon because obviously Amazon now um, has massively overtaken eBay particularly United States. So when did when did Amazon come on your radar in a meaningful way? Yeah, so Amazon was, you know, back in the college days, Amazon was a bookstore and we used to look at Amazon with case studies. Hey, you know, here's this bookstore where they're going to disrupt the book market and the Barnes and Nobles and things. And that's how I viewed Amazon early on before they were really a threat. Then, you know, I got my MBA and I've got my own e-commerce business. I'm selling on eBay and Amazon was still a bookstore, but then they started venturing out of books. They said, hey, we want to be the mm. all, you know, sell everything to everybody mm-hmm. kind of thing. And um, they finally opened up their market to third-party sellers, not booksellers, I think around 2002, if I remember right. And because I was one of the largest sellers on eBay, I was on the board of directors for PISA, which is the, the largest group of large sellers on, on eBay at the time. Um, I kind of got a early introduction, you know, introduction to eBay, Amazon's third mm-hmm. party. So I was, I was invited to be one of their first, I don't know, not really first, but one of their early stage um, third party mm-hmm. sellers. So I got to experience the early days of Amazon's mm-hmm. third party selling before FBA was even an idea. Um, and it was interesting times. What we learned back then was eBay was a, what we, we, this is what we said to, uh, you know, in our seller meetings and communities was eBay is a, 
is a mile wide marketplace, but an inch deep, meaning you could you had to sell a wide variety of products, but you couldn't sell a lot of either mm -hmm. one of them. And Amazon was the exact opposite, and that's why it was attractive to us. It was a mile deep, but an inch wide. So when you found a winner, the power laws would take effect, and that winner would just sell more and more. And um, you could sell really deep stock on things that you just couldn't you couldn't do on eBay at the time because of the way the search uh, algorithms were. So it was a fun time. Yeah, basically eBay was is well probably still is quite shallow in terms of uh, shallow and wide versus narrow and deep for Amazon. Yeah, that they tried eBay tried to buck that trend or whatever change that by try you know cataloging that basically cataloging is one of the factors that caused this. And eBay tried to come out with a cataloging system to match Amazon and kind of break that so that you could be selling the same product deep. And they brought on all these large companies like Sony and Apple and so forth and Disney back in the day to try to break it. But you're right. It, it never eBay never really did break mm. that trend enough. They're still, uh, you know, still considered a mile wide inch deep in my mind. Are you still selling on Amazon today? Like have you maintained that, you know, that seller account, that third party account since 2002? Yes and no. I've been. I'm still selling on Amazon, but under a different business now. So in 2006, when I had to start over, I started a new mm. company. So um, this is this this is Brandon 2.0. Mm. You know, my new company was called Onfair, and it still is. It still exists today. So this is a company that I've been running for the last what 16 mm. years, uh, 14 years, 14 years now since 2006. And so, um, and and Onfair is a whole totally different business from Sell to All in the sense that I, I was kind of burned out, right? I was, I was tired from uh, having a massive team of employees and going big or going home and having a lot of stress. And my family was getting older. I wanted to have a lifestyle business for a while. So Brandon 2.0 was on fair. Um, and and um, I, I came up with what I called, I'll tell you my one, one, one goal. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah. So what I did is I, um, I came up with a one, 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 one goal. And this, I wrote this on a piece of paper, put it next to my, on my computer, you know, my desk and said, this was kind of my, my vision. I wanted to have a one man business. I really didn't want to have a lot of employees. I wanted to um, build a $1 million company again so that I could support my family because I'm the only income for my family. Um, I wanted to achieve this in one year. A smart goal always has a deadline. And then I wanted to only work an hour a day. So it was the four hour work week concept back then in 2006. Mm. And, and so I started selling uh, car DVD players for headrests in the back of mm -hmm. the car. I would go to China or Hong Kong and source them from the factories direct. Um, these were the same factories that helped put me out of business, uh -huh. in my first business, right? Um, here I am now sourcing products from them, putting my own brand name on them and, uh, and selling them with um on on amazon and ebay with my own brand so i went through that private label branding mm. you know yep. concept that i in, in 2006 mm. um and so yes i still sell on i still on sell still sell those exact same not the exact same products but the same types of products on amazon today you've got a new business as well now which is backtrack can you talk us through that what what does that look like yeah so uh, this is exciting okay so things are kind of coming full circle kind mm. of right in the sense that um, Brandon 2.0 is the DVD players. Well, DVD is a product, a medium that is dying, right? So here I am. I'm, I'm selling a product successfully for the last 
um, 14 years now, but I know that the life cycle of this product is near its end. Nobody's going to be buying a DVD much longer. And the automotive industry is also kind of changing, you know, their, their cars come with screens in the back, you know, and then you have tablets. So I've got all these threats that are kind of putting my brand in 2.0 business um, to an end. And so I've, I've been like, well, what am I going to do? I don't really want to do another product, but I love e-commerce and I love this space. I wanted a big challenge. And so this took me a while to figure out. I was like, what is a big challenge that I can go after? Because my kids are kind of getting older mm -hmm. now. One's in college, one's in high school, almost, you know, almost in a couple of years going to be out of high school. I want to, I want something that's going to challenge me. And I, I finally nailed it. I said, this is a problem that has not been solved. And I want to be the man that solves this. And so I wrote a business plan. And the title of my business plan is, this is my $1 billion. I'm going to build a billion-dollar e-commerce business. Wow. Okay. okay? With, with a zero cost of goods. And that's the business model I'm building today. Okay. Um, <laughs> Let's hop into that because that is pretty lofty. Is it a service business? It can't possibly be a physical products business, can it? Or can it? it? It is. Okay. It is a physical products business and it is a service business. So there's there's one problem that I think every e-commerce um, seller has today mm -hmm. that has not been solved. All right. Okay. Do you do you, you want to guess what this problem might be? Do you have any ideas? Cash flow, finance. Yeah, that's, that's probably about as the main problem that I tend to stumble into most of the time. Yep, those are good guesses, actually. Cash flow is a big problem for many companies. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's customer returns. Okay, so customer returns is in, in a $115 billion uh, problem for online sellers in the USA. Now, it's a $54 billion problem just on Amazon alone per year. So mm. Amazon yeah. sellers are losing $54 billion a year um, in customer returns. Now, you don't lose all of it, but you, you lose a large chunk of that. And people hate customer returns. I, online sellers hate customer returns, right? I sell a $400 product. When somebody says they want to return it to me, I know it's not going to be in new condition. I know it's going to be missing parts. It might, not, it might even be damaged or have sticky fingerprints all over it from kids. And it's not worth $400 when I get it back, mm -mm. right? Nope. And so I hated customer returns myself. Mm -hmm. And I always saw that as um, a, a huge drain in your profits. And so I started a company a year ago called Backtrack. Cool. And Backtrack is my mission or my vehicle to chase my mission to build a billion-dollar e-commerce company with zero cost of goods. All right. So for Amazon, is it just for Amazon sellers, eBay sellers, or or general e-commerce? Well, all e-commerce sellers have the same problem. They get customer returns. Mm -hmm. But Amazon sellers have usually a bigger problem. It's in Amazon's warehouse. Yes. And Amazon has a higher percentage of customer returns than if you sell it on a website or sure. on eBay even. Sure does. And so there's a higher percentage of it. Amazon just is so easy to return things, mm. and so many things get returned because of the process. Yeah. And so I, phys I, 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 my, I mentally target or focus on Amazon sellers specifically, mm -hmm. but our services could easily be used by anybody else as well. Okay. And so 
what we do is we, we, we help online sellers recover or repair their customer returns. And so we have, a, we have an entire repair shop service um, in operation. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of our clients also sell high-end electronics. They send us their electronics that are worth two to $400, mm -hmm. but when they get it back, it's not from, you know, mm -hmm. from a customer. And so our, they ship all their customer returns from Amazon to us on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. It's automated. Um, we become their, their what they call unfulfilled inventory um, ship to location. We become that location for them. Yep. And so automatically their returns come to us every week. And then we have a process where we inspect them, we test them, we refurbish them, we rebuild them, we repair them based on all the, you know, based on each, each, each item has a different need. And then those items are then repackaged and sent back to Amazon so they can resell them as a refurbished product. Um, so do you need to be a certified refurbisher or can you just pop them back on as new, oh, sorry, as used? Um, well, we actually become the certified refurbishing company for these brands, right? So you, they actually certify us as their refurbisher. Does that make sense? That makes sense, yep. Totally. So okay. is there a threshold though? Like if you're selling a $10 widget on Amazon and, you know, you get some returns, is it worth shipping those $10 widgets to you for refurbishment or for repair? Where's the limit or where's the threshold? Yeah. So that's something that's interesting that we're finding out. So initially we started off as a repair shop for these high-end electronics, but what we found out is it's not everybody wants to send their product back to Amazon even after it's being refurbished. Mm -hmm. Not everybody wants the product back at all. And so we, um, over the last six to nine months, we've actually gotten very engaged in the reselling piece of it as well. And because that's my strength, right? Mm -hmm. E-commerce. I, I know how to list and resell product, whether it's on Amazon, eBay, websites, you know, even social marketing. And so, you know, we took my strength of being an e-commerce entrepreneur and said, okay, well, why don't we actually resell this product for people as well? So now we're in the reselling business and recovery business as well. So we have some people who send us the electronics. They just want something for it. They don't want to even hear about it or see it ever again. Okay. And so we actually will go through the process of inspecting, testing, and sometimes repairing and then reselling it. And so at that point, it's a profit revenue share business model, right? Yep. And we will just split profits with them after costs and then send them a check each month. And so now they're sending us the returns and they, they get money from us. So because we've opened those doors, now we've lowered the threshold for the type of products we can receive. So now we receive products every day into our warehouse, which might have only a $10 to $20 average cost. Mm -hmm. We receive pet products. We receive exercise products. We receive um, shoes. Um, I've got a new business that's coming on board right now that does phone cases. Mm -hmm. I've got another business that does about $3 million a year in customer returns coming on board. And it's going to be all kinds of products. So are you And so we're now in the recovery business. Are you acquiring other companies that are competing with you? Is that what you're saying or...? No, no. Um, these are new clients that are signing up to use our services. Okay, okay, yeah. And so, yeah, that makes sense. So they're not. We're not acquiring the product, mm -hmm. the company. We're acquiring the product. Yeah, that's right. The company's products, and that that of course is where you get your zero cost of goods because you're still not buying anything. You're just refurbishing things, selling 
on selling those things and then sharing the revenue with the company that owns the return. Exactly. So this this business model is somewhat attractive in the sense that we receive product in every day that doesn't cost us anything from a cost of goods standpoint. Mm. Let's say that I wanted to return some items directly to your warehouse. I'd probably have to pay Amazon a few dollars an item. I can't remember what the return fees look like for Amazon right now per item. I think it's what, 50 cents or does it depend? 50 cents an item is typically what they charge. Yep. Plus a little bit of shipping to get it to you. What do you charge? Yeah. So um, our fees vary based on, you know, the type of product and how much inspection, really the, you know, how much does it take to inspect and handle, mm-hmm. handle right? Mm-hmm. So um, we, our fees charge anywhere between $2.50 to, you know, $40. Really, you know, it really depends on what mm-hmm. is being done. Um, some of the clients, they just like that, that rev share side of it, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll get exercise equipment in, we will resell it. And even after the $2.50 fee, um, they, they make profit, right? Yeah. So it's well um, worth it. And so they're, yeah. And so they're, they're recovering money. And, you, and a lot of these sellers that I'm talking to with, uh, with that type of product, their only other option in the past was to destroy. Mm. You just let Amazon destroy it. And so, mm. Yeah. And so they've turned off that option of destroy and they said, okay, we're going to send it to backtrack automatically mm-hmm. and whatever backtrack pays us is profit. I love it. Yeah. Cause it's quite a, it's a simple little setting in the back end of your Amazon seller central account uh, under fulfillment, I think, or return handling or something. I can't exactly remember where it is, but yeah, it's very easy to set up a, a regular weekly, monthly, daily returns can be shipped to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. Yeah. I think weekly and biweekly are the only two options that I've seen, okay. but yeah, mm. um, it's totally automatic. It takes only five minutes, right? And then we become their default recovery center. Yeah. Amazing service. That is such a great idea. When do you expect to get to a billion dollars, Brandon? Okay. So that's a good question. Um, I probably won't get to a billion dollars this year, but, <laughs> okay. um, but, but we, but last year we recovered half a million dollars already, you know, and we've been less than a million, uh, a year old. So last year we helped, um, our clients recover at least a half a million dollars. And so I believe this year we should be able to help at least, uh, five to $10 million worth of recovery. Kind of depends on how we grow the, the you know, the second mm-hmm. half of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but things are looking good. Um, with regards to new client onboarding and on-ramping. So how long will it take us to get to a billion dollars? That's a good question. But you know what? I'm not going to quit till I get there. I've got a few clients that might be very, very interested in your service. So where does that position you against, say, Amazon Warehouse Deals? So Amazon Warehouse Deals is their attempt to try to cushion that blow, that $54 billion blow. When a product comes mm-hmm. back and they're – you know, warehouse workers open that box and say, wow, this kind of looks new. We will sell it again. And so that that untrained eye individual with the untrained eye is making that decision. They don't possibly pull out all the accessories to see if everything's in there. But what, what they do is then um, make that decision and Amazon buys the product from the seller at cost. And then Amazon takes ownership of that product and resells it. So it's it it's it's their kind of half baked mm. I guess solution mm. to try to ease the pain to sellers, but Amazon knows that that's a small um, piece of the pie and it's also not a very good solution because they don't 
their their warehouse employees are just not well trained to no, make that decision or well informed. They just don't have the information at hand. And so Amazon actually came out with another program called the Renew Program, which is kind of in its beta, but it's kind of coming out that they've been doing for the last year to two years, where they're now having large corporations that do refurbishing for like Apple and Sony and those companies can now sell in the renewed marketplace on Amazon. Um, so Amazon is actually taking steps to try to, again, soften this blow for third-party sellers um, and try to recover some of that $54 billion that's kind of being lost. Amazing stuff, actually. Yep, where it's all going. Brandon, thank you very much for coming on the show today. And is there a website or a email address or a Facebook page or how, how can we get in touch with you directly if we, if we wanted to? Yeah. I mean, I love talking to sellers. I, I, this is my passion, e-commerce. So I talk to sellers all the time. People reach out to me, you know, for the first time and they want to, they have a problem or a question about e-commerce. And I, I just love talking e-commerce with anybody and everybody. So they, <laughs> they're happy to reach out to me at sales at back-track.com, which is B-A-C-K, the dash, T-R-A-C-K.com. Mm-hmm. Sales Good. at back-track.com is my direct email address. Fantastic. Um, and yeah, anybody would love to talk e-commerce with them or if they have want, you know, customer returns questions or, mm-hmm. or um, want to see if we can help them, I'd be happy to talk to them. And Chris, this has been my pleasure talking with you. <laughs> Thanks, mate. That's very sweet. Um, looking forward. I hope our paths cross soon. Uh, we might see each other at the Global Sources Summit, perhaps in October. I understand it's just been the April edition has been cancelled this year, which is very sad. Um, but yeah, I'm going to try and get over there in october i hope you might be there too i'm not sure yeah i mean i i've been to australia i I spoke at the retail global in 2010 so some of your listeners might have i might have met them um and i (laughs) I need to get over to australia again um, you do fantastic good on you brandon well listen thanks again for coming on the show and uh yeah we'll talk soon thank you chris cheers Links and show notes for this episode can be found over at theaustralianseller.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher or your favorite podcast platform. Sign up to my email over at theaustralianseller.com and I'll send you a note each time I publish a new podcast episode. Thanks so much again for listening.